I also really tell patients, look, if you call an OBGYN's office and someone answers and you tell them, hey, I'd like to schedule an appointment. I just found out that I'm pregnant. And if they have any other response besides congratulations, oh my gosh, that's so great, then think twice about scheduling with them. Hello, mom friend. Welcome to the Learning to Mom podcast. My name is Layla, and I inform first-time moms on pregnancy and birth so that they can be empowered and educated without feeling overwhelmed. On today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Roxanne Pero, an OBGYN out of Dallas. Dr. Pero not only is a doctor, but also is a mom of four. So she's practically Wonder Woman. She helps women during pregnancy and also cares for women who are experiencing infertility. But this episode will cover questions like, what things should women consider when choosing their OBGYN? Is it ever too late to switch practices? What questions should you be asking during your prenatal appointments? And more. This episode is jam-packed, so let's dive in. Hi, Dr. Pero. Thanks so much for joining the Learning to Mom Season 1 podcast today. Thanks, Layla. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Oh, I'm so excited. Now, we have so much content that we need to cover, so I do want to kind of just jump right into things, but before we do that, do you mind kind of introducing yourself to the listeners? Sure, absolutely. So, I am currently a practicing OBGYN in Dallas. I was, I guess you could say conventional, more modern, traditional OBGYN practice for about 11 years, doing all the deliveries, seeing all of the patients. And more recently in the last year, I've kind of slowed the pace down and um, done a lot more personalized medicine. So I'm integrating functional holistic medicine with conventional medicine. And I currently am obsessed and loving the space that I'm in. So I'm excited to give you guys all the information and educate you. Awesome. Well, gosh, I know that you have so much, so I do want to just like dive right into it. Now, first thing first, um, someone just found out that they're pregnant. They perhaps maybe have never even seen an OBGYN. What things should women consider when choosing their OBGYN? Great question. Uh, and I get that I get asked this a lot uh, because, you know, it's it's one of those things you're you go and see your regular gynecologist every year for your pap or your birth control refill. And then once you get pregnant, you're like, huh, do I really want that same doctor or do I kind of want to see what else is out there? And so mm. I always tell patients, of course, you know, I, honestly, I go to Google and look at Google reviews for a lot of the providers and services that I'm picking. Um, I do feel like for OBGYNs, the reviews are either five stars, she saved my baby's life or one star, they didn't return my phone call after 20 minutes. So it can kind of be a mixed bag. But that's when your friends, your network is great. That's a great resource to really get like real time experiences. How did their pregnancy, how did their delivery go, um, and the provider that they were using. Um, I also really tell patients, look, if you call an OBGYN's office and someone answers and you tell them, hey, I'd like to schedule an appointment, I just found out that I'm pregnant. And if they have any other response besides 
congratulations. Oh my gosh, that's so great. Then think twice about scheduling with them because, oh. you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, but it's true, you know, and I think sometimes doctors and employees at doctor's offices can get so burnt out and bogged down with phone call after phone call and patient after patient, but you really want it to be all about you in that moment of ensuring that you're having the best possible experience for that pregnancy. Dang, that's really good. And so true too. Like to them, it's just another day, another number almost, but you deserve that personalized care of someone who is going to be excited for you from the very first moment or your very first interaction with them. Yep, exactly. It's a really good tidbit. Now, here's, here's a question. Okay. So, so often what moms are seeing in like birth prep is, you know, to make sure that you find a provider who is aligned to you. Well, what about the instances where like in my instance, I, you know, had a a main provider, but it wasn't necessarily like she was going to be the one who was delivering my baby. And so in my appointments, I met with multiple to make sure I met everybody who could possibly be delivering my baby. So is it better to like align to your provider a hundred percent, or is it better to align to, you know, the practice kind of at a whole as a whole, but maybe perhaps only at 60%. Yes. That is an awesome question. I love how you put it. Um, I really do encourage patients, you know, at my previous practice, when I had multiple partners, Uh, we would, uh, a patient would see their primary provider for like the first five or six visits, and then they'd start to rotate to meet the other providers. And I think that that's invaluable if, if they offer that, Um, because, you know, I hear a lot of women say, especially if it's, you know, their second or third, oh, you know, I don't care who's there at the delivery, just as long as they know how to catch a baby. Um, And I'm going to see my regular provider the entire time. But that birth experience is crucial, especially Mm -hmm. for first time moms. And it really should be for every delivery that you're having. And so um, I think I, I used, I would tell patients, make sure that you rotate, you know, I want you to come back and tell me, look, you know, I would rather have, you know, um, Donald Trump deliver my baby than ex doctor. And I just want you to know that, you know, so I think that having that feedback, like understanding, okay, this patient really didn't have a good experience with this doctor in an office visit. So, you know, what does that say about, you know, if she were to have him or her, you know, I I really do think that that's valuable. And asking that question up front, hey, you know, am I guaranteed to have you as the delivering doctor if I'm not? How can I see the other providers at your practice so that I can get to know them? Okay. So you're going through and perhaps you've met with like four of them and you're aligned really well to your main one. And you're seeing maybe some like, oh, I don't really jive well with this one. And she made me feel stupid. I really hope I don't get her. At that point, is it too late to switch doctor's office provide, like, can you switch to a new practice? I, you, you certainly can, but I think even better, especially if you really, really do like your, your, your primary provider, Uh I think that you should have that conversation with that primary, primary provider. And, you know, maybe she's just like, oh, you know what? 
that provider, you know, that day, you know, something really, you know, traumatic happened and they were just, you know, off their game. Mm -hmm. I'm going to really encourage you to make another appointment with them um, and feel them out. Um, and then also too, I, I, I kind of put that, that onus on me to say, gosh, you know, she had a, a really uncomfortable experience with this provider. So I'm going to make sure that I put in their chart you know, Dr. Pero to deliver this patient, if at all possible. So that would that would be unless I was at like, you know, a, my child's baptism or something like that, even if I wasn't on call, someone was calling me when that particular patient went in labor, and I was coming in to to okay. deliver. Them. Um, and, you know, I don't think that that necessarily goes above and beyond. And that's something that, you know, no other doctor would do. There's plenty of doctors that would that would be able to accommodate you for things like that. Dang. Okay. Yeah. Didn't I didn't consider that. I, I think so often being not in the medical side of things, as most of us who are going through this are, we just think, you know, this is exactly how it's done it. And that's what you're going to get, you know? Right. We right. don't even think right. to, to ask those kinds of questions exactly. or even go back. There was one doctor that I was literally hoping and praying that I like didn't get. Cause she just made me feel so stupid. And Aww. I, and I was just hoping and praying that she would not deliver my baby. And, and I rather, I could have gone to my main provider who I love and she could have walked me through that or. Yeah. Dang, yeah. yeah. And I, I really think that we, we really need to work on getting away from where the, the patient, the one who is, this is your body. This is, this is, this is your insurance company that's paying for this. I think we need to get away from that fear of, of asking, um, especially for things that we want or need um, in our pregnancy and our deliveries. I mean, we don't we don't go to, you know, get our nails done and just, you know, let them pick out whatever color or let them pick out whatever <laughs> spa package. Like, oh, I don't want to say anything. No, we need to start being vocal. Um, and with, you know, how we've sen- seen the trends for things like stillbirth and preeclampsia and maternal death. It is, it is actually getting worse, not better. And we really need to be able to advocate and speak up for ourselves. Hey, mom friend, it's Layla. Sorry to interrupt this interview. I will make it short, I promise. I just want to make sure that you're aware that we are doing an extremely awesome giveaway in honor of the Learning to Mom podcast launching. Make sure you listen to this episode all the way to the end to get the details. Okay, now back to the episode. Well, kind of on that... What would you say is perhaps like one red flag or a few red flags that if it were to happen in one of your appointments, you should really consider changing providers like an, oh, shoot, it's time for me to find a new provider moment. There are any red flags that come to mind? I think when one is, is if your provider never sits down at the visit, if they walk in and they stand up the whole entire time. Like that to me is just it, that level of I'm, I'm not planning on engaging too mm. much in this conversation or in this appointment because I have to be on to the next one. So I'm not even taking time to sit down and to show you that I'm on your same level and I'm, you know, ready to talk with you, you know, yeah. uh, that's one. Um, I think number two is, you know, we get so into the, um, the routine of it all, 
um, that when exactly when 36 weeks hits, um, it's like, oh, well, it's time to do your pelvic exams. And so it's like, you know, there's not even the question, there's not even the, um, the consent um, sometimes to do a, a pelvic exam. And I think that that needs to be a, a conversation. Okay. okay. So, Hey, Layla, you know, you're 36 weeks. This is usually at the time that we start your cervical exams. This is what it's going to feel like. Um, you can certainly decline doing a cervical exam today. Um, what would you like to have happen instead of telling someone that they're about to do a cervical exam while you're spreading their legs for them. You know, um, it's, it's about having that respect and understanding that those types of intimate exams don't necessarily have to happen. Now what's, if this is a sidetrack, but on that, like, can you deny all the way, you know, like at that next point? Okay. A hundred percent. Because I denied the first one and then I felt almost like obligated to do the second one, but I didn't want to. No, no, you should not feel obligated. So, you know, what is, so what is a, what is a cervical exam checking? Okay. Obviously dilation, um, effacement. So how thin your cervix is, how low the baby is. Okay. Those main three things are for impending labor. Do we need to know, do we need to need to know those things? Okay, so what else does the, does the cervical exam provide for clinicians, for doctors and midwives? It provides what's called blotment. So you can hmm. gently push up on the baby's head and feel the baby float away. And you know that the baby has um, appropriate amount of fluid. You can also do that with just subjectively asking the patient how the baby's movements are. And they're just if they're as active as ever, then you know that they have an adequate amount of fluid. Okay. Or you can do uh, a quick ultrasound to get the fluid pockets to see how much fluid is there. And then also it checks for the um, the presentation. So making sure that the baby's head is down. Um, but you can easily do a presentation just as accurately with Leopold's maneuvers, which are feeling the baby's body parts on the mom's abdomen. So uh, touching with your hands, putting a little bit of gentle pressure in the pelvis and feeling if it's a booty or a head. Um, and if you're unsure at that point, you can get a quick just bedside ultrasound and take a look. So, okay. um, so you're not really, there's always alternatives to doing an invasive cervical exam. So, okay. Good to know. We are spreading the knowledge. That's Love right. This, Dr. Pero. <laughs> um, oh, Okay. This is a question that I have. So I feel like so many first time moms, especially run into this. I know I did. The hospital says, you know, if it's an emergency call us, but us first time moms, I mean, anything, we don't know what an emergency is and what it isn't. And we're so scared of being the little boy who cried wolf. So what actually deems an emergency? Honestly, Layla, anything that you're concerned about when you're pregnant is deemed an emergency. Okay. I I promise. You know, there are so many times that, you know, and it breaks my heart to hear women who come in with a stillborn baby to say, gosh, you know, I was experiencing X, Y, and Z symptom, but I really, I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. Or, you know, I thought it might be normal, but this is your first, especially this is your first pregnancy. What do you know what normal is? You don't. And so we've got that women's, that motherly intuition in our head that we should really use and listen to and not get okay. concerned 
about. I don't want to be, you know, the one that calls every night, you know, let them roll their eyes, let them roll their eyes, but you're advocating for yourself. So if you feel like something is off, call and get that reassurance. You know, unfortunately I had a patient who was having swelling and she was 22 weeks and she called her OB and they were like, Oh, well, that's totally normal, you know, and she's just like, well, I mean, I know it's normal to have swelling, but this seems kind of early. No, absolutely normal. You know, and she had that intuition that there was something more to that, but her doctor didn't think she should come in. And then she developed really high blood pressure and needed to be delivered. And, you know, of course she's, you know, she's hard on herself because, you know, she didn't continue to, you know, push and say, no, I think I really need to come into the doctor's office. Um, And so it's, it's, it's unfortunate to understand that, you know, um, doctors are not in your shoes and yes, they have experience and yes, you should trust them, but you should always trust what you know to be true first um, and really lean into that intuition. So of course, you know, bleeding, decreased movement, um, severe pain, um, really bad headache, chest pain, shortness of breath. Those are all things that obviously if you call your doctor and you say that, and they say that's all normal, say, well, I'm going to go to, I'm going to labor and delivery. I'll let you know what they say, but this is really scaring me. And then everything else outside of that, just listen to your body. So, and you have every right to go directly to labor and delivery, even if your doctor is saying that you don't need to. So if you go to labor and delivery, they're going to send you to triage, right? And then they would just check you, they would check you over in triage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. Now, a question that I didn't have on this list, so I hope I'm not catching you off guard, but I think that this would provide a lot of value to first time moms. What are the kind of questions that you should be asking your OBGYN during your appointment? You know, like. So often, especially in my appointments, I didn't know what to ask. They would say, what questions do you have for me? And I'd be like, uh, none. (laughs) So what are some good questions that we should be asking? (laughs) Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I always honestly appreciated patients that came in with a list at every, um, at every visit, but I think it needs to be, um, really, you know, okay, well, if I don't have a lot of questions today, what, what should I expect next visit? Oh, okay. Um, I like that. What things, what are warning signs that I need to be watching out for at this point in my pregnancy? Um, you know, when it comes to nutrition, we know that there's different nutrition needs for each trimester, you know, how should I really focus on my nutrition, this pregnancy, or, you know, if you had a history of gestational diabetes or high blood pressure in your last pregnancy, how can I mitigate the risk of that happening again? Mm -hmm. Or if you have a family history, how can I reduce the risk of that of X, Y, and Z family history from happening to me? Um, And then, you know, also, you know, you get a slew of lab work at your first visit. I think the subsequent visit should be, hey, doctor, I know you told me that all my labs looked good. I was really hoping that you could kind of walk me through them and or that everything, you know, really does look good. Um, So I I think that it's just important just to dig, dig in your heels and make sure that you, you are actually a participating member of your care. Okay, so. 
I like, I like that a lot. Um, especially the go deep, going deeper into your blood work, even if, you know, everything's good, but at least you have more knowledge about yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and to, you make sure you also make sure that, you know, kind of, I mean, I think for me, I was always scared that, you know, something would get missed. So especially like my, my diabetes screening test, Hey doctor, can you, I know I got the, that it was normal. Can you review it with me and just make sure, I just want to make sure it wasn't like borderline high mm. like that. So, okay. Now another question that I, that I have for you that wasn't on the list. So I apologize. Um, <laughs> things are just like coming to me <laughs> now. Um, could you perhaps walk through a, a timeline of the different appointments or like checkpoints that you have. Mm-hmm. So a first time mom who's, you know, going through this, you call your OBGYN, you come to your first appointment and then like, when's the next one? And what do you do at your first appointment? Kind of, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah I can. Yeah. Um, so, uh, first appointment is usually between six and sometimes up to 10 weeks. And the difference between when you would do it earlier or later really does depend on your own anxieties or your schedule. Um, If you have high anxiety, if you just came off of, you know, experiencing an unfortunate miscarriage, you want to get in sooner than 10 weeks and make sure that everything looks healthy. So the first appointment is also when you get your first ultrasound, they confirm your due date based on your last menstrual period and how the baby's measuring. They'll check the heart rate of the baby. They'll get all of your blood work done. And then they may do a full physical exam with or without a pap smear, just depending on when you had your last pap smear. Again, something that you can decline. Um, I know plenty of women that have bleeding after they have their pap smear done. Mm -hmm. And again, if you've had a miscarriage and you don't want to see any bleeding, then defer your pap smear. Say, look, you know, I just had it last year got current guidelines or every three to five years, I really don't feel like I need one today. Okay. Um, and then after that visit, then it's every four weeks, you might come in earlier than four weeks, if you've been offered and you accepted like the genetic testing to find out mm. any chromosome abnormalities, also fun time to find out the gender of the baby with that blood work. And that's usually offered between 10 any, anywhere as, as early as 10 weeks. And then you can have it done anytime after that. And then your appointments are usually on a four week schedule. Um, so 10 weeks, 14 weeks, then 18 weeks, um, 14 weeks. There's usually not a lot that's done. Um, but you'll want to ask all the questions that you have to ask because you finally have energy. You're not <laughs> you know, nauseated. You're feeling good. You're in your second trimester. And then 18 weeks, 18 to 20 weeks is when you have your anatomy scan. So another ultrasound. Yep. Your ultrasound. So every woman, even if you had a normal, healthy, chromosomally normal um, genetic blood test, every single woman in in the world has a three to 5% baseline risk of having a child with a birth defect. So that's what the ultrasound is really honing in on. So birth defects can be like cleft cleft lip or palate, which they can see sometimes, um, you know, ear defects, um, defects in, uh, the heart, um, the stomach, the, the spine, um, the, the bones. So they're looking at all of that, um, from head to toe. 
And uh, that ultrasound is usually a little bit longer, 30 to 45 minutes. And, um, and then you go over, you usually have an ultrasound and then a visit with your doctor and they go over the findings of the ultrasound. So uh, I, I started getting into the habit of actually showing the patients every single one of their pictures. Again, just to give them that reassurance, nothing was missed. She looked at everything. We checked off all of the boxes. So okay. uh, after that 18 to 20 week visit, then you have like a 24 week visit between 24 and 28 weeks is when you have your gestational diabetes test done. And this has recently been really, I think we've had a lot for good reason too. a lot of women kind of buck and say, look, I, I don't really want to do that artificial dye infused drink and yeah. I want other options. So thankfully there's a lot of other options. So that's a conversation too, that you maybe want to have at your 20 week visit with your doctor. Hey, do you guys offer any alternatives to the glucola drink for, um, diabetes testing. Okay. I have a lot of my, I have a lot of my dietitian friends who actually will do a continuous glucose monitor for about two weeks. And then they'll show their doctor, their, um, their sugar readings. And if they all look beautiful, then there really should be no reason why they would need to get ruled out for gestational diabetes. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that yeah. was an option. Dang. This is so yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. After that, the gestational diabetes test, what yes. happens next? So, uh, so 28 weeks is when you're in your third trimester. Or so visits are every two weeks at that point. So really, you know, doing the prep work for, um, for getting ready for delivery. So that's when you should start working on your birth plan. Um, you know, you're getting your nursery ready, you're doing your baby list. Those are, you know, most OBGYNs are, are moms too. It's always a great time to ask your OBGYN, Hey, what are musts on my, you know, on my gift list, those types of things. What do you think about formula versus breastfeeding? Mm -hmm. Uh, definitely the time to start honing in on, uh, lactation consultants and who you would have to potentially come into your house to help you. If you have any breastfeeding difficulty, if that's what you plan on doing. And then, 30, so 30 week visit, 32, 32 weeks is, um, when usually women are offered a, uh, Tdap vaccine, which is the whooping cough vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, that is something again, that you can talk to your provider about. It is not mandatory. If you do not want to have vaccinations in pregnancy, um, that is an okay thing for you to decline. And they'll also retest your blood count at that time, just to make sure that they're not missing any, low iron or anemia headed into a delivery. Okay. And then, and then 36 weeks is when they start the weekly visits and really ramp up to baby time. So. Yeah. That is an exciting time. I remember too, like being, you know, 36 and you're seeing them every single week and moms who are like just teeny tiny bumps walk in. You're like, Oh, you got a long way to <laughs> <laughs> but didn't you feel like even at 36 and 37 weeks, you're like, oh my God, it's taking forever. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, so this was so beneficial and just jam packed. I'm sorry that it was like rapid fire at you, but I knew you had so much good stuff to say. So thank I know I, I, we could, we could talk for days. I promise. And, and hopefully I'll be back on your podcast. Cause I think that you have 
so much great information that you're getting out to women. And I'm so proud of you for doing this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Hey, real fast before you go, I'm doing a fun giveaway for you to win a pregnancy pillow and maternity maternity leggings in honor of the Learning to Mom podcast launching. But here's how you enter to win. You just follow the Learning to Mom's Instagram account, which is learningtomom.podcast, and post a screenshot to your story of you listening to one of these first four episodes. Make sure that you tag me at learningtomom.podcast so that I can see it. The giveaway ends this Sunday night. September 24th, 2023 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern.